Hello and welcome to the Men at Work podcast, episode 25. I am your host, Travis Streb. Today on the podcast, I've got Aaron Sills. Aaron Sills is the founder of High Impact Lab based here in Vancouver. They are a leadership development consultancy focusing on senior level teams and helping them really deeply understand and deepen their impact as leaders in the world of work and more broadly in their communities. So this is a great conversation. Uh, I used to work with Erin. I partner with her on occasion in my own work and she's been at this game for almost 20 years, has a ton of experience and a lot of unique perspectives about leadership, and about specific behaviors that leaders tend to exhibit. So we had a <laughs> we had a great chat. Uh, it was fun to do this one in person. We talked a lot about the impact that leaders have on both people and on results, and how most organizations tend to focus on the results side and forgetting the people side. Talked about the need to have both will and skill to be a great leader. Uh, we talked. We did talk about men at work. We talked about emotions in the workplace. We talked about humanizing leadership. We talked about specific leadership behaviors that tend to show up uh, across genders. And we talked about Aaron's work with the Leadership Circle Profile and their database of research and what it has to say about gender and leadership. This was a ton of fun to record, to talk to Aaron about this, and I hope you love episode 25. Sills, founder of High Impact Lab, my former boss. <laughs> so I, I haven't, I haven't been involved in High Impact Lab for a while, but um, you know, I'm curious where you, where, the, where this, this kind of love story around leadership impact came from, mm. and um, where you guys are, or you, or you women are headed, yeah, into 2020, because I know you got some big plans, and you've been like on a mission, at least for the last year, like just rocking and rolling. I've hardly been able to see you. Yeah. So, yeah. So where to start? You know, where, where did the love affair with leadership impact? Yeah. I mean, high impact lab is born out of that. So, yeah. Well, you know what? I think as leaders, all there is, is impact, right? That's a, that's the water we're swimming in and it's the impact that you have on results and the impact that you have on people. And, more importantly, I think the higher up leaders go in organizations, it's more important the positive impact that they have on people because it's through those people that they're relying on the results to come. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I believe that leadership effectiveness and leadership impact is the single biggest lever that any organization can pull in their quest for better results. So out of the gates, 
<laughs> make it a bold proposition that <laughs> leadership impact is the biggest lever. Yeah. And I, I do want, I want to talk more about that, but I think I don't want to gloss over this, the distinction that you're making between people and results. Yeah. I know when you and I first started talking about this stuff, that really hit home for me because I think they get muddled. Yeah. So maybe you could, at least for, for my listeners, just break that down, um, you know, a, l- a little, in a little more detail, like the difference between people and, right. and results. Yeah. Well, for me, I just have a bias that really when you're having a high impact as a leader, they're, they're one and the same, right? Mm. Because the results happen through people and through your leadership, right? You make better decisions. You are purposeful and visionary. You can enroll others. You foster a team where people can do and be their best. Um, but I think where organizations get stuck is they get myopic around the data and the numbers and um, it creates a bit of tunnel vision that sometimes can leave people on the outskirts um, without the realization that, hey, if we focus on really creating a connected culture where people can thrive and do their best work and let them free, right? Let them let them bring their gifts, their talents, coach them along the way if they need it, but let people do their best work, then the results follow. So, so then, I mean, if that's the biggest lever pe- people can pull, mm. I mean, you and I work in the same world around, you know, corporate leadership, yes. but... I definitely don't see that that is the focus in most places. No. So how do you how do you create awareness around that? You know, I think there's a there's an understanding that leadership is important. And I see this with a lot of clients and there's the there's a willingness to have the conversation. And I think people's intentions are pure and they want to um you know, get better individually and they invest a lot of time in leadership training but what is happening actually is they're not actually doing leadership development in a way that drives you know that growth mindset for progress in an organization they're getting you know trainers to come in a classroom and teach some kind of model about leadership and you know how to have a difficult conversation for example and you do some role play and yay and and you're supposed to leave as a leader and then you go have your five hard difficult conversations and report back and 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 I think what's happening is the ROI on those programs aren't coming to fruition and so I think there's a frustration potentially and when crisis hits or when the numbers drop or when customer numbers fall or what have you, then then that becomes a precedent. I I think what happens is it gets lost that leadership is how you do everything. Right? It's how you do everything in the organization. It's not just a bolt-on and it's not just a thing that you can do when you have the mind and the body and the spirit full to be able to be a leader. It's actually how you do everything. And more importantly, it's how you show up in those hard times and how you you know, engage others through the hard times and have the conversations that matter. And that's the hard work. And so I think, you know, in organizations, there's a realization that leadership is important. I just, I'm not sure that they're having the right conversations around it often. Some organizations are, some organizations aren't there yet. So that's, that's, I mean, that's a bit unique too, though, in that it's not a bolt on. I mean, there's so many programs I've seen and been part of 
as a student, as an, you know, as, as a facilitator. Yeah. Where it is, I shouldn't even say just, where it's training. Um, and so what you're saying though, is there's no, there's less, there's less ROI than people think on that. I think so. I think so. Because what happens is, you know, anyone can learn that <clears throat> really anyone can learn the steps to have a difficult conversation, but where people lose themselves is in the real conversation when the stakes are high and the anxiety goes up or the frustration goes up and can I still have a fruitful conversation in spite of my own reactivity and we don't give people the time to practice that around real issues real conversations and that's where I think high impact lab is different is we believe that leadership development needs to happen in the context of the system that that leader is in. Mm -hmm. And so you cannot take the leader out of the system and develop them and expect them to come back into the system a changed person because the system has strong energetic pulls, right? There's cultural behaviors, there's what's acceptable, there's the way things have always been done. And that is a hard slog to be able to come in and try new things but at High Impact Lab, we believe that we can shift the conversation in the moment by really leaning into helping people connect more deeply with themselves, connect more deeply with the relationships around them. You know, relationships are the currency of leadership and connect more deeply with the organization's purpose so that people are inspired to get better results. So, I mean... I just like, said a lot there. You said a lot. I mean, we'll, yeah, we'll talk about little bits of that or pieces of that. I think it's, that's a, you kind of giving your whole manifesto there in two minutes, which is awesome. So without, you know, without giving away, you know, all of your secret sauce, Yeah. how, you know, to the degree that you can, like how, how would you design something like that? Cause I'm, I'm kind of picturing in my head, like I, I get the idea that you can't just pull a leader out and send them to you know, some beautiful mountainside retreat mm -hmm. and, and have them learn leadership in five days. Um, and also, how do you keep them in context? Like, are you going to the office with them and mm -hmm. hanging out with them? Like, mm -hmm. do you, providing in the moment coaching? How do you, how does that work? Yeah, I mean, a little bit all of it. You know, you can take people to a beautiful mountain retreat to learn leadership as long as they're learning it alongside of the people that they're working with on a day-to-day -day basis. And do you, sir, and, and to be clear, do you mean the people that they, that might be their direct reports or their, is it yeah. their peers? Both. 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 I mean, it, ideally what you're doing is you're looking at how you're showing up in the context of all of those teams that you're a part of. Right. And so leadership is collective and individual. Right. It's how are we how am I showing up in a way that impacts you? But then how are we showing up in a way that impacts the system together? So it's collective and individual. Like say say a little more about that. That's a that might be a, a difficult topic to to unpack. But let's see what we can do. Well, particularly when you think at think about teams at the top. Right, so executive teams. There is, um, there is a concept of their, you know, how they show up is their individual leadership impact. Right, they impact, they impact their teams that they lead. They impact each other on the team, and how that show, how that team shows up together is a collective impact in the organization, in a way that models the way for the rest of the organization. And so, as a team. 
Are they great with how they handle conflict? Are they great with how they collaborate? Are they great with knowing how and when to make tough decisions and what's the best decision-making framework to land on the right decision in the time? As a team, are they open and transparent with feedback for each other so that they're deeply invested in people being their best at work? As a team, are they setting the standard for behavior in the organization? And so, you know, leadership is for sure it's individual recognizing what's my what's my impact but it is more and more what i think is more important is the relational aspect of it and how are we showing up together in a way that is setting the tone for the organization particularly with teams at the top and most of the conversations that happen with teams at the top tend to be around strategy and direction or you know more often than not yearly goal setting business planning processes and the stuff that gets in the way of execution is the behavioral stuff that goes on underneath the water you know it's that how people piss each other off in the room when different people are speaking or how they get annoyed that you got all the budget for this and I didn't get any budget for the initiative that I really wanted to do but those conversations don't ever happen and so our belief is that through talking about the business, there's a leadership development aspect in those conversations as well by shifting the quality of conversation that people are having about the business with each other. Like that's collective impact in an applied way. So the applied part, it sounds like that would be you know, equipping them to have those conversations, making them aware of their own you know, reactive tendencies, but then are you working with them in the moment? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And, and sometimes, you know, I've worked with clients and they're just like lobbying ideas across the table and I'll actually stop the conversation and I'll say, I feel like I'm watching a tennis match right now. And what's the takeaway here? You know, what are you hearing, Travis and Joe, what are you hearing? And can we slow the conversation down a little bit more so that actually you're getting the outcomes that matter? How does, um, <laughs> it frustrates people. It must like, yes. yeah. Like... I'm like a mosquito. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron, Aaron Sills and High Impact Lab, the corporate mosquito. <laughs> There's my tagline. That's right. We come in and, and we suck the blood out of the organization. <laughs> um, that, that is, I mean, it's definitely unique though. I mean, if there, there's obviously an, an, an element of, of skill development, like if they don't have the skills, but you're talking about leaders at yeah. the top of the house. At that point, yeah. one would hope they have the skills to have a decent conversation. Or the will, right? The mm. will is more important than the skill, I think, because I can help anyone through a mucky conversation as long as their intent is pure. So, well, that's a, <laughs> that's a good distinction to make. The will is more important than the skill. Mm-hmm. Do, how do you build that in, in people? The will... Oh, geez, that's such a good question. I wish I knew the answer. <laughs> but it's obviously working. I mean, the results yeah. you're having with your teams, I mean... You know, we tend to partner with organizations who share our belief, right? Mm. Who With leaders and CEOs that are restless in their pursuit of more and realize that in order for the organization to get better results means that they have to look at themselves first. And so we tend to really partner with organizations who also get it and, and maybe not get it to the extent, but you know, can, can they have a, a deep belief that actually people are important? So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to 
guess that you probably are saying no. Yes. To a lot of people. <laughs> well, not a lot. Uh, but to some, yeah, I mean, to some. I certainly don't see to that some. in, you know, in, in my work uh, all the time. Yeah, because otherwise the work's not going to be successful. And it will feel like we are dragging water uphill. And our job is to, I think of it like, like you're a bike rider. Yeah. Right? I, what's the guy's name who's at the front of the peloton? What's that role? Oh, the domestique. The domestique. Yeah, the guy that has to do all the hard work and yeah. no credit. <laughs> that's that's high impact love. <laughs> so the, Just kidding. So as opposed to being the mosquito, you're the, the <laughs> yeah. cycling domestique. But, I think that's a better analogy. But I think it's about, you know, can we set the pace, right? Just, just enough ahead that people can tuck neatly in behind and follow mm. in a way that there's ease. Right? That there's not too much discomfort, not panic. Discomfort's okay, but not panic so that they fall off the back, right? And, and you know, early on in my career, I'd had these idealized vision of, you know, what great leadership looks like. And I would often be the person standing at the top of the hill and trying, you know, kicking and screaming, trying to bring people up. And it doesn't work. It's meeting them where they're at and bringing them along gently in a way where they start to see their small wins and start to see, hey, actually, I can be more effective and I can get better results if I just shift slightly how mm -hmm. I'm showing up and it's not a full sweeping shift and actually it's more of a becoming more fully who they are, right? Like deep, deep belief in their potential. That's what we have at High Impact Lab and helping people see it in themselves. Becoming more fully who they are. <laughs> so this, I'm guessing this is not... As like long a... as they're willing to work with their impact. Uh, right? Like you could become more fully an asshole, let's be honest. Right. And uh and you gotta work with that impact. So becoming more fully who you are at your at, at your, your best. best. Yes. Right. I like that because you could just become more of an asshole if you, you... can. <laughs> <laughs> and we've seen that. Yes. Um so that's I mean that's not a that's not exactly a, a short term process. So I'm guessing this is like a, you know, a year, something like that, or how, like, how do you guys time this yeah. stuff? Our ideal, our ideal client would, would be a long-term client, right? I, I worked with one organization for about six years actually wow. on that transformation and, and the, you know, the sponsorship, the CEO was amazing. We just saw the value of the work and uh, you know religiously that executive team got together three or four times a year to look at the quality of conversation and the quality of relationships that existed on that team and make adjustments so that they're getting better results so yeah I like it's not a one and done yeah because you, growth doesn't happen in a four-hour session yeah I mean it awareness happens but I don't think deep growth happens. Right. And, you know, I mean, you're also working with, you tend to be working with, with primarily more senior people. Yeah. So at that point, you would hope that awareness would be there already as a precursor. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the four-hour awareness building session may not be the one that you need. Yeah. So I wonder if we can, if we could talk a little bit more about some of the specific behaviors you're seeing. Because, I mean, at the end of this, we're talking about behavior. 
mm-hmm. and, and you know, it's a bit like a sandbox. It's been my experience anyway. And um, what are some of the behaviors that you see that um, that really undermine, you know, the, the kind of de- growth you're talking about and the and the the impact yeah. you're talking about? Oh, where to start? You know, I'm a I'm a I'm a big proponent of you know this the leadership circle profile, and yeah. I think through their work, you know, Bob Anderson, Bill Adams, through their work, they have uncovered really three main umbrellas of reactive tendencies that get in the way of people bringing their A-game, right? And so how it shows up in the organization is through controlling behavior, which is that that deep belief that in order to win, I have to be in charge and things have to be perfect and I'm going to drive people until you know, they're left bruised and battered on the sidelines. Or there's protecting tendencies, which are, you know, f- for hell or high water, I need to show up as the smartest person in the room because that's where my value comes from. Yeah. Or there's complicit or complying behavior, which is around not wanting to rock the boat too much, right? So people have different reactive tendencies that tend to pull them off their A-game, but to the extent that we're stuck you know, below the line, so to speak, we're never going to be able to get the results that matter. So, well, I mean, I've done, I've done that, that, that profile. So you know where I land. I think I land on the, the, what is it? Is it protecting Mm. the one where you're arrogant? Yes. That's my, my calling card. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So can you say a little bit more about the reactive tendencies piece? Because I, you know, I, I think that language is really helpful. I just don't know if everyone's going to pick it up. And I think it's a really important, you know, people could take away from this podcast. Yeah. Probably look in the mirror and figure out. <laughs> what their reactive tendencies yeah, are. Yeah. Like, where do, they, where do they show up? Yeah. Well, you know, it's, I say it's, it's either where we're at, because that's just where we're at developmentally, right? It's what we've learned. It's behavior that in, in some instances has served us quite well. Right. And learned from our family of origin, learned from the way we were educated, learned from early social context. Right. So it's it might just be where we're at and it served us. And so we haven't changed our behavior. I also see it's where people go when they're stressed or challenged. Hmm. Right. It's what they revert back to comes from the same place, usually family of origin uh, education, that type of stuff, so that it comes from the same place. But lots of people have figured out how to how to manage it, how to transition out of it, but they still might revert back into it when they're triggered or stressed at work. And and, and that happens. <laughs> yeah, well I think that's the that's the interesting part about it. Like there's there's a certain amount of leadership I shouldn't say development, but so part of some of the conversations I have with clients are around emotion at work. Yeah. But what you're like the reactive piece is where you go when you're stressed, triggered, challenged, as you say. Mm-hmm. But that's emotional content primarily. It is. So. And do you want to know the difference? Yeah, yeah. Is that when you are operating from a reactive place, I would say you're operating at a place where the emotions have you, rather than you having the emotions. Because emotional, I mean, we're emotional beings. That's what it means to be human. And when we're in a reactive stance, we get overwhelmed and consumed by those more negative emotions instead of actually really being able to harness 
the message that the emotions have for us or the gift or, or, you know, the insight that we can get from our emotional states if we choose to pay attention to it. So it really is a difference of reactive tendencies are being in a place where the emotions have you, not you having the emotions. So the emotion still happens. And I think, I mean, am I getting, like emotion still happens. It's just yeah. a, it's a question of whether you're allowing it to, to control right. you or, um, so how, like, how do you create a distinction between having, having emotion in the workplace versus being emotional in the workplace? And I, like, mm. Well, I, I mean, the first place, like awareness is step one right? <laughs> <laughs> in yeah. any process. And, um, I think what happens in the workplace is uh, somehow, somewhere, this organizational norm was created that it's not okay to have emotions in the workplace, particularly the more, um, you know, the more difficult emotions, things like sadness or anxiety or shame, that those aren't okay to be experienced in the workplace. Um... And so what happens is we suppress them, right? And from a brain state perspective, when we try to suppress our emotions, it's the least effective emotion regulation strategy that there is. And so what happens is it's like the whack-a-mole at the the fair, right? Where you take the (laughs) hammer and you knock that thing down and it's going to seep out in some other way and in other contexts with other people where it's completely inappropriate. And so... You know, it may show up at home for people. It may show up with their team. It may show up with a customer. But when we're trying to suppress that emotion, instead of actually processing the emotion, it can come back to knock us in the ass. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, obviously we're on the Men at Work podcast. I mm-hmm. think I'll, I'll make a special call out to, you know, you said somewhere along the way, emotion was stripped out of the workplace. Yeah. You know, I think. Do you believe that? A hundred percent. I see it all the time. I mean, mm-hmm. most of my, most of my. Not people. anger. Anger's okay. I anger. Think. Yes. That's the only one that. Joy. Men are, that men are allowed to. Experience. Joy and happiness. Yeah. 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 You can, got, men can, men can take any emotion and turn it into anger right away. <laughs> Sadness, <laughs> anger, fear, shame. Yeah. They're all anger. It's the same thing. <laughs> Joy. It could be anger. Um, so. Or passive aggressive. That's right. Or super passive aggressive behavior, which yeah. is, that's part of uh, the arrogance column in and LCP. So, but the emotion at work thing. So can we talk more about the processing piece? Mm-hmm. Because I think this is a, this is something that, that you and, and high impact lab are bringing that's unique is making it okay to actually process emotion at work and not mm-hmm. in a, you know, doesn't need to be a, you know, huge spiritual circle to experience emotion, no. but how does a leader do that in the context of a, of a corporate organization? Well, here's the thing is, we're having emotions whether you like it or not, right? For me, it's do you have the emotional vocabulary and the emotional literacy to put language to it? Because emotions happen in us all the time and we get the physiological symptoms of those emotions. Like anxiety might show up as, you know, the heart racing or shame might show up as that deep, you know, sinking feeling in your gut. And and so um, what I've tend to notice is that leaders especially will start to meld in their thinking with their emotional state with their wants and their actions and it just becomes this big 
puddle of mess and it and it's really hard to take purposeful action from there and leaders with high eq have a balanced reliance on their thoughts their wants and their feelings and so just again for the audience here eq being emotional intelligence okay yeah and so leaders with high emotional intelligence have this balanced reliance on their thoughts their wants and their feelings and so there's a recognition that there is some learning and if we pay attention to the emotions that are going on for us it will motivate more thoughtful response and action and not give the emotions more weight than our thoughts or our wants but actually just to pay attention to it right so it might be like having a conversation with someone and saying you know well, this is how this is how it gets messed up it's like Travis I feel like you're not listening to me and what you might see in my body language is I shut down and I might get flushed in my face and you can pick up, right, that something's wrong, but that's not the most effective way to have the conversation. It's, I think you're not listening to me, and I feel sad, or I feel upset, or I feel angry, right? Yeah. And what I want is for us to have a really productive conversation. And so we, may, we meld it all up, and we'll, we'll say things like, well, I feel like that's a dumb idea. Right. Is, oh, I think it's a dumb idea. And I feel sad, mad, glad, afraid about it. You know, one of those myriad of emotions. You know, that's it. As you're, as you're, as you're talking about that, it, um, it reminds me of how basic some of this stuff is. Like, these are things that, um, well, I mean, our, oh, yeah. our kids go to school together. Simple, but not easy. Simple, yeah, but that's, yeah. that's what our kids are learning at school. Yes. Is the, you know, what is it? It's sad, sad. Glad, mad, afraid, afraid, and then I think they added shame in there. But we did this as part of a leadership program. I, I was in um, last month. We did we did a session, and it was for like an hour. And we had to have a conversation with someone. And all I think it was called like T T module or whatever. It was. Oh yeah, T group. T group. Yes. So it was the T group conversation. Yes. In the here and now. Right. And all you could say is, you know, you, you say, say something about how you're feeling yeah. right now. And yeah. All the person can do is respond with, when you say that, I feel, you know, yeah. you could say sad, glad, mad, uh, afraid, or shame. Yeah. And then where you feel that, you know, in your body. Yes. And then the next person just goes. And it was amazing to just, to as you said, it's, it's simple but not easy. Well, and here's the thing with that is it becomes so clear in those moments that really the currency that you're operating with is connection and impact, right? And so even through what you say, as simple as I feel shame is going to have an impact on someone else, right? And then, and then they're going to have an impact on someone else. And, and this is what we're trying to actually bring to the forefront through High Impact Lab is, you know, accelerating business results through really deepening leadership impact well <laughs> and I, you know I'm, I'm glad that that that's that there's a market for that I guess because you know well you and I have both worked in the corporate world before we were working in consulting mm-hmm. I mean, and uh, I I feel like there's more of a place for that now and and kind of every day just given the state of, of the world and the way demographics are changing are you seeing that too? Are, are, you, are you still getting resistance to this idea? 
Um, of course there's resistance. It's hard work. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like coming back to our kids, right? Our kids are learning it in school. But then they go into organizations that have been around and led by people and it gets smushed out of them. <laughs> and, yeah. and so I feel like there's some rehabilitation to do in organizations. So we're setting them up for our kids and future generations to be able to work effectively in it. But yeah, of course there's resistance because it's hard work and it requires people looking inward at themselves and that's not easy sometimes. And well, and you're, but you're bringing it into the corporate world. I think, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a beautiful kind of marriage of, of, of some personal development alongside really good leadership and corporate development. Yeah. Um, how, like, I could imagine that's got to be a delicate conversation though with someone around it. I mean, impact is one of the most personal things. It's kind of, it's, I think it's easier mm. to talk about results, obviously, or this is what you're getting and to kind of dance around the actual impact conversation, yeah. but to really bring that to someone, that's a, that's a tough conversation. It can be, but I also think that people want it. There's a craving for it too. Yeah. So the initial resistance might be there, but what I've found through our work is actually people are, there's a sense of um, freedom around being able to have a different type of conversation and to be able to have the permission to be imperfect and to be able to be encouraged on a quest towards having a higher impact. Um, and so, yeah, the resistance I think can sometimes be fleeting until people start to have the real conversations and they realize what a difference it can make. Mm. And, and the reality is that, you know, better humans make better leaders. So be a better human. Better human to make better leaders. I, I totally agree with and you. And the better leaders get better results. And so for me, the causal chain is clear. And so, you know, to, to bring a point on it, what we're not doing at High Impact Lab is we're not going in and having conversations around leadership just for the sake of having conversations around leadership. We have a deep belief and deep experience that shows that when you can focus on leadership impact, individual and collective, the organization gets better results. And so it's not just a personal development program because it's altruistic and that's just a good thing to do. It's when you have better leadership in the organization and you create a culture of leadership where people can do and be their best, the results happen. And when, you, when you're talking about results, I, I would assume you're talking about like their performance yeah. as, a, as a company, sales. Totally. And, yeah. Yeah. Because I think that's a leap. For a lot of people, I mean, the, some of the organizations I work with, and you know, some of the shared clients that we've had in the past, there's that belief that there's like this, that leadership development is is less of an investment and more of just like it's just a straight up cost, right? Like it's a, and it's one of the first things to go yes. when times get tough. Well, and you know, working with my friend Jeff Scales, we were just having a conversation with some leaders around, you know, how do we really measure? the ROI of e the, even this transformational way of doing leadership development in organizations. And the problem is that organizations don't measure leadership effectiveness now. So there's no baseline. Mm. So what do we actually even have to compare it to? And so we'll often come back and say, well, how are you measuring leadership effectiveness now? And then let's start to do some things in the program and compare but it's like they try and put all the weight in a program to drive better leadership effectiveness in the organization. And if it were a priority, they would figure out ways to measure the current state too. It's a, 
it's a it's a really astute observation. Like there's there is no baseline in most places for how effective leaders are, and so you're measuring against this hypothetical. Right. Well, things are better or worse, and kind of using the yeah. you know thumb test. It. I had a similar conversation, um, not with Jeff, but with another um, another practitioner in the area, and you know we're. I was I was kind of joking. I said, well, you know, one of the things I see is your one of your best gauges for how well you're doing as a leadership team or on effectiveness should be your ability to attract and retain millennial talent because mm. <laughs> they will bail as soon as that like mm. they're the, one of the most sensitive in a good way like they're just great barometers for bullshit mm. so I, that's been my experience anyway i don't yeah, know if it's and true the next you know generation yeah. because yeah. i think there's a shift happening in the millennial generation too right now where you know, millennials are like mid thirties now, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? And and you know, driving minivans with kids in the back right. for the most part. And so, there's there's a demographic thing, but there's also ages and stages that actually shift people's perceptions of how long I want to stay in an organization or not. So, so and, and millennials are one piece of it. You know, we should constantly be thinking about how are we retaining and attracting the best talent. Period. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yes, we need to have new young people coming into the workforce because. Most organizations that I work with tend to have a succession challenge when they look at the work that needs to get done and the quality of the talent in the organization to do it in the future. Um, So absolutely, organizations should be thinking about how do we raise and scale our leadership effectiveness, starting with the team at the at the top, because, you know, the saying the fish rots from the head. It's such a gross. (laughs) It's such a gross saying. It's true. You know, but we say that employees will mirror the health or the pathology of their leadership. Yeah. And so to the extent that you want to get better results through the people, start to change the behavior at the top. Well, I mean, you do, you're, you and your team do a lot of work with those top level leaders. And, um, and so you've got good insight here. And I'm, I'm curious if we can change gears a little here. I want to, I want to talk a little bit about the, the gender equation. Yeah. Because, well, obviously we're on the Men at Work podcast, but <laughs> you have access to these leadership teams. And on almost every episode around corporate, you know, I've, I've talked about this. And, and I want to get your thoughts on where where we've been. I mean, you've been, in, you've been at this game for 20 years almost, mm-hmm. I think, maybe mm-hmm. even more. Um, are you seeing a shift towards a more... I mean, it, we're just starting with gender because it's a good starting point. And there's yeah. tons of other diversity to worry about. But yeah. are you seeing a shift? What do you like? What, what like in of... terms of the mindset or in terms of the actual representation? Well, I mean, why don't we go with both? Because <laughs> I think both matter. Uh, why don't we start? Start. Let's let's, let's start with um, let's start with with the numbers. Like, and just I mean, obviously, yeah. you don't have hard numbers, but just what you're seeing out there. Um, you know, I haven't seen a drastic shift. In the last 10 years, say, you know, for, sh- for sure there are initiatives like the women on boards and, um, and, and, you know, people are starting to have a different conversation around the value of gender diversity at the executive level. And, um, and I think it's, you know, it's not going to be fixed overnight because there's so many things underneath it in terms of pay equity and uh, voice at the table and so I think even if a lot of women do get to the table at the top um, 
you know, it's through their, they would say likely that it's through their own blood, sweat and tears that they've managed to climb their way up. And, and lots of that is true, but there, and I think the conversation, the interest in the conversation is shifting, mm. but I'm not sure that people are having the deep conversations around why it's important, what needs to shift in the system to be able to accept more diversity because diversity is going to get us better outcomes. And so I, you know, I'm, I'm seeing a little bit of shift in the willingness to have the conversation, but not necessarily in the depth of the conversation. Um, and so the numbers are getting better, but they're not where they should be. Yeah. Well, we're not at parity. So. Yeah. Yeah. We're not there yet. Well, so what about the mindset piece then? Is there anything more there? Like, it, it, I mean, I, I'm, I'm seeing a, sh- a shift, but I don't know if it's real or if it's just that there's enough awareness because of the current state of the world that people are, it's like, it's just taboo to not be all in for gender diversity. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's there's that. And so then I wonder, are the real conversations going underground? Mm-hmm. Because there is this um, mandate around um, gender diversity. I wish it was gender parity, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's this mandate around it. And, and I think a surface level understanding of why it's important, but we still come with inherent biases and if we're not talking about those and addressing those, then what's going to happen and, and changing the system so that women can thrive in those roles and not just women, but, you know, a whole bunch of different diverse populations. If we're not changing the system, we're throwing people into, um, you know, the, the deep end and saying, please swim. And we're right. not supporting them to be their best while they're in there. You know, just as an example... You know, there's there's lots of organizations who would say, oh, we want to have we want to have more representation of women, but the way they set their structures up aren't actually conducive to getting more women in. So, for example, maybe an executive meeting starts at seven thirty in the morning. Well, lots of women my age actually have to drive their kids to school. Yeah, right. Even in a dual income um, family, their role still is to drive their kids to school, and so they can't start a meeting until nine nine thirty. And, and so we, we don't change the system or the structures in the system. And then what happens is women end up getting ejected. Right. Or self-selecting out. Or self-selecting out. they're like, this is just not, this yeah. doesn't matter enough <laughs> yeah. for me to not be, you know, doing, doing whatever, you right. know, whatever else. Um, so when you, when you talk about system change, like I, I immediately jumped to the, um, to the role of, of men and just because that's where my bent is. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I think given that, that uh, we as men were the ones that created the most of the corporate systems, mm-hmm. or at least where they had a, had a dominant role in creating them. I mean, the the corporate structure itself is a you know fairly masculine process as far as like everything is directive and structured. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm curious when you talk about system change, where do you see where do you see that that men have a role in that like mm. and I mean there is a role but I'm curious if you see I, I believe there's a role for men to play of course but are you seeing specific areas where it's like yes I think men need to be playing here and here and here I think the first the first place is to is to realize right that it, when you are a male executive 
for example, in an organization, that comes with a ton of power and rank and privilege. More power, rank, and privilege than a woman executive in the same organization, just by the very nature of how our social systems are set up. And so, you know, the, the first place is to start to recognize and use that power in responsible ways and not let it go unchecked. And so I think the, you know, the, the biggest shift that needs to happen is actually having the right conversation about any type of diversity and having it with the right people in the room. Because a lot of, a lot of things happen where it's like, we're going to take the women out and we're going to create these women groups and women conversation, which I think is great for building a sense of support. But I'm not sure that it really shifts the system because again, we're taking people out of the system and we're giving them the support outside of the system and then we're throwing them back into their organization that they came from and hoping that things are going to be different or that they can drive some of the change. Or men, you know, some of the work that you do, right? Like let's take men out of the system. But there's not a lot of conversation, at least not here in Vancouver that I know of, where we're getting, you know, men and women together to say how do we solve this challenge and and how do we how are we impacting each other in our quest for trying to make things better yeah yeah i mean i it's it's a good observation right that we do tend to create that segregated not just group but as you pointed out and you know in, in the high impact lab model like not taking gender or any other kind of diversity out of the context in which it has to exist in a, in a corporation. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's a, my view is there's a role, there's a role for both. Like I like the yeah. idea of having the, you know, they call them employee resource groups or, you know, whatever they are, whether it's a women in leadership program or, uh, you know, diversity and leadership program. And then there's a, there's, there's like the, where's the coming together part? Yes. Now, I think you guys are doing some really innovative work around that just by, by not, you're not, you're not calling it diversity work, but just by virtue of the fact that you're kind of forcing people to reflect on their own impact as they engage in day-to-day business communication. Yeah. That's going to have, that's going to move the needle. Yeah. I hope, Um, I hope, but it's not, you know, we're not doing it to solve the gender equation, but it is actually to, you know, help people be better people. Right. Yeah. Right, which which ultimately, Hopefully. yeah, could it could so yeah, I, I get that you guys aren't overtly going we're a, you know more diversity and inclusion yeah. you know leadership program. It's not what um, I I I I think there's um, can I just add please, to that for please, a second because yeah. I think the challenge is still here. The diversity challenge or the gender challenge in one organization is going to be different than a gender challenge in another organization is going to be different from another organization. And so what would be ideal is to be able to have the conversation in the context of those organizations to say, hey, what is, what is our reality around diversity and inclusion here? And what are all the elements of diversity that are celebrated? And, and what are the, our unintended impacts on making people um, actually leave the system? Because of that diversity, where they don't feel included. And it requires the willingness to to go into those conversations and to be able to have the look at my, you know, inward at ourselves to say, what am I doing to create a culture where diversity, inclusion and belonging is, um, is at its best. Right. And, and what am I doing that gets in the way of that? 
And usually it's the unconscious bias or my behavior that blocks it. But, but again, we're not having those conversations in the systems and saying, what is our particular challenge around gender? Is it pay? Is it structures? Is it um, we're still an old boys club and we use derogatory language? Like whatever it is, yeah. right? So the, the challenges are going to, you know, at a macro level might look the same, but my hunch is that they're very distinct in, in each organization and I would love for those organizations to have their specific conversation around how that particular issue is showing up in their system. Right. That's a good, that's a good frame of it because it is, it is different. I mean, well, I mean, you work across lots of industries, but I would imagine that you're seeing a difference between you know, a, a technology driven mm-hmm. organization versus a, you know, more meat and potatoes industrial customer or, or healthcare or healthcare. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So different. Yeah. It's a, I, yeah, and I, I agree. Like, I don't think it's going to be solved with any kind of cookie cutter approach. And I don't, I don't um, pretend to have the answer for it. I think there's, um, Me neither. <laughs> God, I think we're going to be a little, a little while. I mean, I think the part of it, um, you know, part of the work that, that I'd like to see more of is, is um, actually bringing men together. Mm. Because I think that women have done a good job at, at creating the, a, a safe c- container, if you will, for a conversation yeah. around gender diversity in particular. Yeah. I think other organizations have done that with different, you know, the resource group model where you have different diverse groups getting together and, and really sharing, oh, wow, this has been my experience. And I think the one that's at least been missing from what I've seen is that men are championing these things, right? So because a lot of men are executives, so they say, hey, we're, you know, we're going to champion employee resource groups or women in leadership. And I'm starting to see that that's actually a, a way out for us as men to go. Yeah. Here's well, something we're offering yeah, for you. Go, you. You, guys you go, go do, do the work. It. You guys go do the work. It's kind of like the, yeah. you know. It's and like we'll one, stay here unchanged. Right. It's like one one partner in a relationship saying, well, I, I you know, I'm going to send you away to this program so you can become a, a better partner. Yeah. But I'm, I'm good. Yeah. I've, I've achieved, you know, spiritual oneness. So I'm okay. Um, but I think that that is... An, an area to dig into. I mean, I, I know that I had a, I had a guy on the, um, on this podcast, Eric Arthrell from Deloitte. Mm. And he, he authored or co-authored a study called the design of everyday men. Yeah. He's also, um, you know, trying to model this idea of, of equity with his partner. Yeah. They had a, they had a baby at gosh, it would have been maybe almost a year ago now. And they decided they were going to split that leaf like down the middle. Yeah. I'll do six months. You do six months because no one of our careers is more important than the other one. So why would, why would, why would I assume you would take an entire year off? So that was like one way to model it, but he also put together a group kind of like an employee resource group, um, of men called Mm -hmm. the, like is, is his company inside Deloitte is called Doblin. They do human centered design work and they called it the dudes of Doblin. (laughs) And, um, he said, yeah, he's like, we did, we put it together and he's like a bunch of guys showed up. He's like, we didn't, you know, we didn't, we didn't have like a formal facilitator or like a leadership model. We just had a conversation about what it's actually like to, to be a man in the workplace. Yeah. And, um, you know, he, he's interesting stuff came out. I mean, there's, there's good research around this, just not enough practice. Mm. So that's something I, I'd like to see shift. Um, but I, I, there's definitely more reluctance 
you know, I think you offer right. women leadership a hey, there's a, here's an area or another diverse group. Here's a here's an offering for you. Yeah. You say hey, we're gonna do a corporate men's <laughs> group. Nobody's showing up. Right. Yeah. At least that's my at least that's my you know my initial experience and and yeah. my fear. Well, and I think it's it's for what right? It's yeah. To be transparent around why and for what, because the initial response would be. Well, you've got that every day, <laughs> right? Right. You know, like yeah. that. I think that from a standard, from a marginalized group, a woman in an organization, they'd say, "Well, why do you need to have your right. special group when we've been sitting on the margins for the past hundred years?" And that's and that is that's so the dilemma, true. right? It's so true. Yeah. And I think the the shift is going to be, and I, you know, there's 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 people working on this in other other places. I know I had Scott Beeson on the on the podcast a while ago and he talked about this um at, as far as at, at a at a u.s government level yeah a lot of a lot of women are like no no like we would love to see that because that's the next frontier is is kind of turning the mirror and going we're not just going to be a sponsor of diverse programs yes. we're also going to need to get together ourselves as the dominant group in in corporate leadership yes. Not in collusion, but in learning. In yes, not yes. in how do we how do we maintain this how do we commiserate flow? around how right. hard it is right. to be a man in this organization? Right. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it's that's what I mean about being clear about the intention, yeah. right? The intention of a, a men's group like the ones that you organize yeah. is to actually be more reflective around how are we creating the conditions for everyone to show up as their best, us included, and the women who work around us. And are we re- willing and ready to do the work that it takes in order to shift the system so that we're shifting the outcome? Yeah. 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 It's, I mean, it's a bit like your uh, your initial comment around impact, right? Like, I think that's the that that to me is is an important frontier to work on. You know, among <laughs> so many others. Yeah. Um, but I I see it. I certainly see it. And I'm I'm wondering, you know, before this interview started, you mentioned that. Well, obviously, you've been in this game for um, for many, many years, but you've done like over a hundred and something, you know, three sixty evaluations for people using the leadership circle framework. Mm-hmm. Now, just anecdotally, I'm just curious: have you seen like big differences among gender in that, or or is it? No, is it you know, when I asked them to pull the the gender difference between um, top performing women in their database and top performing men in the database and they were pretty equal really pretty equal yeah what i didn't do is say give me the lowest performing and are the lowest performing men or women but but i think it's just one you know that's one lens to look at it through and you know on in the leadership circle we look at dimensions of you know how how great is a leader at relating to other people and how great is a leader at achieving results? So it's kind of like that full spectrum of it's not just about how are you creating amazing teams and relationships, but it's also are you able to get the results that matter through being decisive? And, and you know, I would say um, that men are great at both too. There are men that are super high relating and low on achieving. So what I, I don't want to go in with a preconceived notion around men are, you know, alpha and they get better results and the women are relational and I think I think there exists that mythology in organizations that 
you know, women are great at relationships and the men are great at being decisive and getting results. And we're more complex than that. And we're shaped by more than that. Gender for sure is one piece of it. But, you know, again, how we were raised and brought up and our values and our beliefs and, and all of that stuff impacts how we show up. And so gender's one piece of it. But it's not the only piece. Well, and that to me is fascinating. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lighter practitioner of the leadership circle than you are. I haven't done nearly as many assessments. But I, I seem to recall a, a flavor of that. But then there's all that, but it, it flies in the face somewhat. Like we're talking about data. Like this, this isn't just made up. This is like, yeah. you know, thousands and thousands of data points from leaders around the world, primarily North America. But that it kind of, it's, it's a bit in juxtaposition to the, the McKinsey study mm-hmm. around gender and leadership, you know, because their one of their findings was, well, women are better at relating and men are. And so, you know, they're, they're a different survey methodology, but it's a, I think it's one that maybe we don't need to bother looking at it anymore. I don't, I think what your, yeah. your, your point is well taken, like we're more complex than that, but it's interesting that the results are so different. On the one hand, yeah. we're saying, oh no, this is totally true. Women but are, are we looking for it? Right. And I think like yeah. we can make data tell us any story yeah. that we want it to tell us. And yeah. so if we have a story that women are better at relating, then we're going to look for data that supports that story. And if we have a story that men are better at getting results, then we're going to look for the data to confirm that men are better at getting results. And it is, you know, it, we have to stop the assumption formation and get really curious. And, and a woman may be as focused on getting results, but but actually how she's perceived in that system can be abrasive, aggressive when she's doing the same behavior or maybe even like less intense behavior than a male counterpart. Well, and that, that to me is the part I agree with you where we need to get curious because sometimes, you know, and even, even with the leadership circles um, research and data, part of me wonders, is that because... Are we getting a, a, a are we getting an unclear result because we've created a model for leadership that has been driven largely by what men are good at because mm-hmm. men have run organizations by and large for right. you know since organizations existed and our own our own biases impact the ratings that we give. Right. And so that's, right. that's the thing is it's all, everything is perfectly imperfect. Yeah. And for me, yeah. it's, you know, the, the assessment is great and it's amazing and it's research based. And what's even more important is the conversation that comes after it, where we can start to surface some of those assumptions and not just individually, but that in a team, for example, if we're having a conversation and a man shows up high controlling on his leadership circle profile, and a woman shows up high controlling too, that we're actually having that conversation right. to say, wow, isn't this interesting? Tell me about how controlling shows up for you. Tell me about the ways I show up as controlling and that you're actually having those conversations. Right. And that even just that little piece there, that conversation alone, like tell me how I'm being controlling. Mm-hmm. That would be an edgy conversation for a lot of leaders. To oh have. yeah. A lot of people, a lot of people edgy for everyone edgy for me yeah right because that's the thing is there the it's you're you're in the system with people that you have to relate with and you spend the bulk of your adult life in an organization like this is where we spend a ton of our time and so they're high risk conversations and coming back to this notion that that's what's important is to be able to have that quality of 
high impact conversation in the moments where it matters most and you know all the framework and the theory and all that crap goes out the window because we're triggered in those moments and so the most important thing is when the stakes get high and we're having an edgy conversation can I hold on to myself and can I be curious about the other person hmm. that's a beautiful way to put it can I hold on to myself and be curious about the person sitting across from me yeah I mean I'm it's it is it, it's it's definitely different you know work that you and your team are doing um and i'm man i'm glad you guys are out there making it happen I well think that i work with amazing you know that you do work with some amazing people and sue yeah. are amazing right um and they are and i think i'm <laughs> obviously you guys have been have been had, had a phenomenal year at least and you know can growth and you know you've been certainly uh, one of the busiest people I know, mm. which has been great. What's on the horizon for you guys? Like, how, where are you going to go out and do more of this work? Yeah. Well, I feel like this past year was, we were just getting warmed up. Mm. <laughs> you know, like the, yeah. the second yeah, yeah, half yeah, yeah, of yeah. the year, it's really starting to get, you know, put our th- three amazing minds, right? Put our heads to, together to think about how do we, what do we really believe in? What have we seen through our, 60 plus years of collective experience working in complex systems. What do we believe is really going to move the dial and help organizations succeed? And, and so we've been doing a lot of introspection over yeah. the past number of months. And I think 2020 is a pivot year for us. And, and how can we scale our approach as we're scaling leadership effectiveness in organizations and, and to start thinking about, you know, for us, the work is so important. And so we want the work to happen in a bunch of places. And how can we really invest the time and the money and the energy and the resources to have a big impact ourselves, helping organizations get better results through their people? Yeah. Well, I mean, I hope that I hope this podcast, you know, spurs some additional interest Mm. in the work you guys are doing. I think it's so important. Um, On that note, though, where... Um, where should people go to find out more about you as the founder or, or High Impact Lab in general? Yeah. Well, we are in the process of, of rebranding our website. There's some information there, highimpactlab.com. Aaron at highimpactlab.com. People can reach out to me directly. Erinsills.com. Um, I still have my individual page as well or LinkedIn. All right. Yeah. Yeah, I guess in closing, just, you know, thank you for coming to hang out with me today. Mm, Thanks for the tea. Okay, that's it for episode 25 with Aaron Sills. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please keep listening. If you really enjoyed the podcast, I would love to have you leave a review on iTunes, on SoundCloud, or wherever it is you listen to your podcasts. And if you have questions about today's show, you want to get in touch, you can always find me on my website at travisstreb.com. Talk to you next week for episode 26.